Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com slash fright day. This is the first time in history that I've pronounced something correct. Okay, let's go. It's correctly. Let's go. Oh, fuck. Is Fright Day. This is episode 77. I'm your host, Byron. And tonight, we once again follow Ed and Lorraine Warren, this time all the way across the pond, as they tackle the case of the Enfield poltergeist in James Wan's The Conjuring 2. And we're discussing one of the most secretive and powerful organizations you've probably never heard of. It's the Bilderberg Group. In this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies, I'm joined tonight by Kelly. Oh, hi. And Sam. Hey, guys. So I heard a little rumor this week. I love gossip. You might not like this gossip. I heard that you guys didn't watch anything scary at all this week. That's a lie. I finished the first season of Bates Motel. Thank oh, you very much. Oh, this is just Sam. This, yeah, it's just that one. This one over here. That one. What do you have to say for yourself? Um, okay, I'm going to actually defend him for a second because the other night he tried to put on a scary movie and I really just wanted to watch another episode of Game of Thrones. Like he was surfing through Shudder and he was actually even trying to find a ghost movie for me. He was, so you're he was trying pretty a, hard. A ghost movie. It's really nice, but I really wanted to watch more Game of Thrones because I'm trying to see what happens. And since we have so much to watch, it's like, let's just, just watch Game of Thrones. How, so, how deep are you in the Thrones? Uh, halfway through season two. two. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm impressed. Are you confused yet? Me? He's not. No. I am thoroughly, except I guess everything. I'm re- tell them mm. how good I am at guessing, Sam. I'm well, really good. Guessed at- some of the things, Sam. Even last we're, night, you're like, "Wow, you're good at this." We're playing a Who Dies Next game, and I already know because I'm read the books. And of course. Then, and what kind of game is this? If you already know, well, I I'm more I'm the guessing. the game master. Okay, he's like the Alex Trebek. I throw misdirection her way, and I'm like that awesome robot. What is this? Ro- <laughs> what a comparison? Is there a robot on Jeopardy? The T800. Yeah, that yeah, that's me. That's me, and I'm just like throwing him out there. I'm like, oh, he dies next. Oh, I know it's going to be this person. Oh, that's what he meant by that comment. Oh, all this right, is coming all down. All right, all right, all uh, right. Pretty good at it. Byron. I think it's because I actually have psychic abilities. No, you do not. Uh, yeah, I do. I think. Byron, it sounds like yeah. you really redeemed us, though. Not really. I, before we jump into this, because I have a lot to say about what I'm going to say. Kelly, you mentioned that you finished Bates Motel season one. I did. What do you started think? started to? I, th- I think it's good. It's actually. One of my favorite shows to just be able to have on because uh-huh. it's not like Game of Thrones where I have to have my eyes glued to it because my brain's going to explode because it's too much information to recall and I have to draw like maps and diagrams to keep track of things. It's a more medium passive watching experience, okay. which I think is great. Uh, the characters are really fun. And good old Lorraine Warren, Vera Farmagia, mm. Vera Farmiga herself. Is pretty kick-ass, Please don't isn't it? say it like that again. There, a farmiga. That's enough. You're not Italian. I, I, I like being Italian. Yeah, okay. I have Italian blood. You're you're sold on Bates Motel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to keep watching I'm it. excited about that. I feel really bad for the girl with cystic fibrosis. Did you know that the show creator has cystic fibrosis oh, and no. he was the inspiration for her character? I didn't know that. Yeah. How about that? What? Was pretty that, cool. What the hell? Were you trying doing? to get a horse to gallop? <laughs> Trying to get Byron to gallop into telling us about what he watched this week. I watched a movie called The Break-In. It's a 2016 film that I found on Amazon Prime. 
Uh, Jeff Anderson and Melissa Joseph are engaged and they have a baby on the way and they're living in a little townhouse next to their best friends. Seems like a pretty fun time, right? I mean, I've never been a fan of townhouses. Um, Too much noise pollution, but yeah, go ahead. They supposedly have a perfect life until a string of robberies take place in their neighborhood. Sounds familiar. Does it? Yeah. Each night, Jeff and Melissa notice strange occurrences happening in their home. It's a found footage film that I hated. Weird. Very much dislike this And it this looks movie. like you're not the only one. Is that right? Well, yeah. I didn't look at the reviews yet. It's got a 4.5 on IMDb with 153 votes. Which isn't a lot of votes. But no, could, and those are the most worse. enthusiastic people. Those first couple hundred are the ones who loved it the most. Yeah. My problem with this is found footage films in general don't always have likable characters. And I, I do think that that's a problem. But a bigger problem is being completely uninterested by the characters. Their life was nothing I wanted to be watching. So why would I watch this film and why would I care when things start happening to them? Weird things about this movie, there's strange static cuts between the cell phone video that this guy is shooting and he's shooting constantly with this cell phone because he says he just got a new phone and he used to have a flip phone. It's 2013 in the movie. I don't buy this. I don't think that that's a realistic situation. Yeah, not many people switched at that point. Well, and it doesn't matter. This, like, why are you filming problem doesn't happen in 2013 with a cell phone video. It yeah, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's one of the things I liked about Midnight Swim. They stopped trying to give an elaborate explanation for why well, everything yeah, was Yeah, she was filmed. documenting their trip, right? Yeah, with but a there real were, camera. But there were plenty of things that didn't need to be filmed that were filmed, but they didn't focus on it too much, I should say. So you were able to just forget about it. So I dislike this movie so much that I actually, I pulled a couple audio clips for you guys. Oh, I love multimedia. Wow. So feel free to, to talk through. Um, there's going to be five clips. Okay, let me set this up. A police detective shows up at their house to ask them some questions about the robberies that have been happening in their neighborhood. Are you going to keep filming us? Or? <laughs> Sorry, it's kind of an addiction of mine lately. I just got this new phone. I'll put it away. No, 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 no. It, it, it's all right. You'd actually be surprised how many times we get leads and eventually solve crime because people are filming something Really? Else. Just because of somebody's phone? Huh? Right, and they're, they unintentionally film something in the background. Oh, they're, they're trying way too hard. So, oh, that was, a, that was a police detective <laughs> saying, telling him to keep using his phone. I'll just keep using film. your phone. It's totally fine. Sometimes it even police officers. Crime. Yeah, that that would not be something. Wow. Yeah. Uh, following that, the the couple go on a run, and I'd like to play that clip real quick. Here. Hold on. Is it like in House of Cards when they run together? It's not as exciting. No. Okay. Do you know. okay. What's up? Why are you stop? Thing. I'm like these break-ins. I just can't focus on running. It's messing with me. Listen, why are you stressing about this? Oh my it's, god! It's standard procedure for him to come over. There's been two burglaries in our neighborhood. So exactly. But you think this guy's gonna come back a third time? That's gonna be stupid. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not good for you. It's not good for the baby. Let's just let's finish our run, go home, and just relax. Okay. okay. Alright. Don't worry about it, babe. Alright. In here, they're gonna wrap their run. Good. How's it good run? That's good. All right, and then there's a man just standing in front of their house. Um, wow, what awful, awful dialogue! Uh, they and terrible delivery constantly throughout this movie. She's saying that's not good for the baby. The stress isn't good for the baby. All this like repeated stuff. Well, I mean, it's true. Stress. Oh, isn't I completely good for the baby. agree, but I don't need to be told that seven times. True. They just didn't have anything else to say, Byron. And that's why they did this scene inside the house. <laughs> you want some water, babe? 
I can do that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm just freaking out. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the health of Mel and about our baby. She's getting stressed out and it's only been getting worse. This is immediately after the clip that I already showed you. Wow. Okay, Still so it's concerned. really bad. Yeah. I want to do one more. This is four seconds later upstairs in the bedroom. So how are you feeling after that run? I'm still kind of stressed. That was creepy. Mm-hmm. I was trying to read to get my mind off that creepy don't, dude. Don't worry about that guy. We have, it can be anybody. We've got a bunch of creepy people in this neighborhood all the time walking up and down. So yeah. yeah, so don't worry it's about like, it. It's like weird and like almost that like violating feel, like violated feeling to have somebody just like yes, standing agree. right outside your house like looking. <sighs> yeah. How did you no, watch this whole thing? Well, it is what it is. You just, just take your mind off it. Don't think about it. I was um, trying with my reading, but I can't. I'm going to bring the footage actually tomorrow morning. I was thinking to uh, the detective and uh, see maybe they can do something. I know All right. And that's, and I'm just saying, fine. this is. Why did you watch the whole thing? Because I, one of us had to watch horror movies this week. But you it's didn't like know the we were Randy watching. Newman just talking about everything that happened. It, it, it's insane. Okay. Well, I like Randy Newman. Um, I know you do. I don't usually like to hate on movies this hard, but. There's moments where he's shooting with his cell phone and he pushes the garage door opening button. And this happens three times. Have you, have you ever used Final Cut Pro or like iMovie? There's an effect called bad TV that you can lay over stuff to make it look like it's a bad TV, but it's not good. For some reason, they use that every time a garage door opens. And I guess I've never filmed anything with my cell phone as a garage door opens, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't shake and get staticky. Hmm. Was the garage door haunted? No, it was not haunted. It's just strange. Um, um, I just want to play one more quick clip and then we can move on, right? I feel like I found this at one point and almost watched it and I chose not to. Yeah, good call. Let's, let's wake up. Is that our alarm? All right. And that's, Is that and that's our the, alarm? <laughs> that's the break-in. No, no, it's unicorns. Um. Wow. Uh, you just don't need to say everything out loud. It, it sounds wow. like a really awful, awful version of Hangman almost. Exactly. I thought about Hangman. And the thing about Hangman that worked was it was almost silent the whole time. There's very little dialogue between the characters. Because which is, people don't talk all the time. No, you do not. You do not talk about the run for Well, I mean, times. we do, but we have a podcast. Absolutely. So. This is what we do. The break-in. Terrible. Kelly, a lot on your mind. So much on my mind. What do you say we talk about the meeting of a group of people that have a lot of power? Pretty powerful. Let's talk the Bilderberg Group in this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracy. Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracy. Everybody, I know that this may seem a little bit more normal than the things I typically talk about, but let's just be honest. Sometimes the conspiracy theories I believe in are actually real, and this is one of them. So we're going to talk about it today because as we speak, Right now, the Bilderberg Group is meeting. So truthfully, by the time you wonderful people hear this, they will be done meeting, but it won't make any difference because they don't tell us anything that they met about. So you're going to have to rely on people like me, not people like Alex Jones, to give you the real scoop on what's going on with these Bilderbergs. So much going on. Kelly, I don't know what the Bilderberg Group is. That's okay. A lot of people don't. You want me to tell you? It sounds benevolent. They sound like an investment firm. No, it's not true. This is according to Al Jazeera. One of the most secretive and powerful organizations you've probably never heard of. It's hosting some of the top business and political leaders in the world in the German city of Dresden this week. So it is a forum 
It's held every year where the rich and the influential can meet and exchange ideas in complete secrecy. Almost 130 politicians, bankers, and industrialists are attending this year's conference. The guest list includes former heads of state, former heads of the CIA, former heads of MI6, chief of the International Monetary Fund, the list goes on. It's a pretty crazy list. And how, do, how do we get access to this list? We'll have the list in the show notes. I do no, but, have the f- but in general, how do we know? Oh, they'll list is- who's they'll list who attends. Wow. I mean, I assume that there are some secret attendees that they don't let us on to, but there are no minutes of the meetings. There are no votes or policy statements made following the meetings. And all of that information that I just read, in case you guys all think I'm crazy, that is all from Al Jazeera. Now, according to Bibliotheca Pleiades... Okay, different than Al Jazeera. But you'd be surprised how similar this sounds. It's an anti-democratic European superstate populated by the Western elite, founded in 1954, and it holds its by-invitation-only annual meetings of the rich and powerful. About two-thirds of the attendees are European, the rest are American, and it's named after the group's first meeting spot, which was the Hotel de Bilderberg in Oosterbeek, Netherlands. It sounds like a fun place to hang. Here's some interesting rules about the Bilderberg meeting. The invited guests must come alone, no wives, girlfriends, husbands, or boyfriends. Personal assistants, meaning security, bodyguards, CIA, or other secret service protectors cannot attend the conference and must eat in a separate hall. The guests are explicitly forbidden from giving interviews to journalists or divulging anything that goes on in the meetings. Host governments provide overall security to keep away outsiders. P.S. You guys, you should see the pictures of this year's meetings and the military force that's around it. Do they have like a Twitter page or an Instagram? Yeah, I wish. No, but you guys just Google images from it. It's pretty terrifying. One third of the attendees are political figures. The others are from industry, finance, academia, labor and communications. Meeting procedure is by Chatham House rules, which means attendees can freely express their views in a relaxed atmosphere, knowing nothing said will ever be quoted or revealed to the public. Meetings are always frank, but do not always conclude with a consensus. Membership consists of annual attendees, which is about 80 people. The rest of the people that come are only invited occasionally because of their knowledge or involvement in relevant topics. Those most valued are asked back, and some first-timers are chosen for their possible later usefulness. Seems like a lot of stress being a, a first-timer at this. Yeah. So in these are my words. Basically, it's the grown-up, more mature brother of the Bohemian Grove. So like... They're not peeing on things. If the Bohemian Grove was like Sean Bateman from Rules of Attraction, the Bilderberg Group is like his older, smarter, scarier brother, Patrick Bateman. Okay. That okay? makes sense. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Pretty creepy... The history as it goes, and this is from Wikipedia, so this is, you know, distilled. It was initiated by several people, including Polish politician in exile, Josef Rettinger, concerned about the growth of anti-Americanism in Western Europe. He proposed an international conference at which leaders from European countries in the United States would be brought together with the aim of promoting Atlanticism, which many conspiracy theorists will tell you was the precursor to new world order. Atlanticism, huh? Yeah. I like that. Which is essentially a better understanding between cultures of the United States and Western Europe, bridging the gap between, Between, yeah, yeah, over the Atlantic. The idea was to foster cooperation on political, economic, and defense issues. Rettinger approached Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, who agreed to promote the idea together with former Belgian Prime Minister Paul Van Zeeland, and then head of Unilever, Dutchman Paul Ridgkins. And then Bernard contacted Walter Bettel Smith, the head of the CIA at that time, who we've talked about in other issues, who asked Eisenhower advisor Charles Douglas Jackson to deal with the suggestion. The guest list was also drawn up by inviting two attendees from each nation, one of each to represent conservative and one to represent liberal points of view. 
50 delegates from the 11 countries in Western Europe attended the first conference along with 11 Americans. Basically, the meeting was a success, whatever that means. People were able to talk and... There's no vote? There's no vote. There's no policy know, that officially so comes out it of it. seems like success is almost guaranteed. Yeah, how do you even measure success? You're allowed to use information from, which I don't know how they get around business insider trading issues here because you're allowed to use information you learn during the meeting. You just never can divulge what the source of that information sure, was. Sure, that makes sense. I'm looking at this picture of Prince Bernhard. Yes. Uh, have you noticed his bracelet that he's displaying in the picture? Is it Luminati? I don't know. Check it out. Oh, what is that bracelet? I did not look at that bracelet. What do we have here? What is that bracelet? I don't know, but it's being prominently displayed. He's holding up his yeah. wrist as if it's of significance. Well, Are we sure it isn't a watch? It doesn't look like a watch to me. It, it looks like, like almost like an Egyptian eye. Oh my God, creepy. You're so right, Byron. It is. Byron, you're becoming such a good cabin boy. Look I at mean, that investigative journalism you just did. I looked at a picture on a wiki page. Byron, I'm so proud of you. All right. Hey, back to the story, huh? Sorry. The success of the original meeting led the organizers to arrange an annual conference. A permanent steering committee was established with Rettinger appointed as the permanent secretary. In addition to organizing the conference, the steering committee also maintained a register of attendee names and contact details with the aim of creating an informal network of individuals who could call upon one another in a private capacity. Like networking at its creepiest, probably. Even worse than Denmark? LinkedIn? Probably, yeah. France, Germany, Denmark all hosted the conference over the following three years. And in 1957, the first U.S. conference was held on St. Simon's Island, Georgia. Ford Foundation donated $30,000 to host the conference and also supplied funding for the 1959 and 1963 conferences. Interesting. Here's another place that talks a little bit about what the Bilderberg Group is supposedly organized for the purpose of. The Center for Research on Globalization says the group's grand design is for a one world government with a single global marketplace policied by one world army and financially regulated by one world central bank using one global currency. Their wish list includes one international identity with one set of universal values, centralized control of the world populations by mind control, in other words, controlling world public opinion, a new world order with no middle class, only rulers and servants, and of course, no democracy, a zero growth society without prosperity or progress, only greater wealth and power for rulers, manufactured crises and perpetual wars, absolute control of education to program the public mind and train those chosen for various roles, centralized control of all foreign and domestic policies, using the UN as a de facto world government, imposing a UN tax on world citizens, expanding NAFTA and WTO globally, making NATO a world military, imposing a universal legal system, and a global welfare state where obedient slaves will be rewarded and nonconformists targeted for extermination. Now, if That's you can't tell Christmas. from that list that... <laughs> Sam, if you can't tell from that list that I gave, though the Center for Research on Globalization sounds like a pretty official title, it is very much a conspiracy group. Okay. okay. So we cannot take any of those things for fact. They are theories about what... You okay over there? I gotta go pee. Oh, go pee. Okay. <laughs> you gave us a scary face. Sorry. Like the government was listening, but <laughs> yeah. in reality... The government was listening. I just didn't want to interrupt Kelly. No, that's fine. Now I'm leaving this in the show. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine too. So, so this list of, of attendees? No, no, not of attendees, but of goals. Is that public? 
well, they haven't. It, it's certainly not tied to them. Like, they've never stated anything like that. That's what a lot of the conspiracy theorists believe to be the case because of the people who attend. And we'll talk a little bit later. For example, one common thread with the people attending this year is that the Americans, with one notable exception, are very pro-Hillary. Okay, interesting. People spend a lot of time combing the lists of attendees because that is made available and trying to devise what could be going on because of those lists of attendees. I'm sure there is some truth in there, but like I said, we certainly cannot take it as fact. It's a theory. I just have a feeling they wouldn't use the term slaves. I don't think they would either. I think most of that terminology they wouldn't use. Absolutely. Yeah. Whatever way you look at it, the list of attendees makes it seem as though something very large is going on. And like I said, this isn't like the Bohemian Grove where we already have reports that basically nothing useful is accomplished there. It's almost like a a bunch of morons peeing in the woods. It's a break time for serious people. This is not the same thing. This is very official. In fact, there's a really cool visual that somebody drew up this year that I will post in the show notes that shows kind of a map of the people and powers represented at the Bilderberg Conference. It's pretty terrifying. At this year's conference? Yeah. It's a very scary visual. You guys are going to be excited to see it. There are some fun conspiracy points, perhaps not quite as extreme as the list of goals that I just read from the Center for Research on Globalization, but some things that have been tied to suspicious events or policy changes occurring very shortly after Bilderberg meetings. For example, for some reason, a little-known governor attended in 1991 his name was bill clinton i've heard i've heard of him yeah so there david rockefeller supposedly told him why the north american free trade agreement was a bilderberg priority and that the group needed him to support it the next year clinton was elected president and on january 1st 1994 nafta took effect lots of examples like this ties between sam i don't know how much you know about the council on foreign relations but there are many conspiracy theorists who believe that the council on foreign relations is a very controversial group within the united states and basically conspiracy theorists believe that it has been driving towards a new world order from long before the bilderberg group even formed so the council on foreign relations founder paul warburg was a member of roosevelt's brain trust and in 1950 his son james told the senate foreign relations committee We shall have world government, whether or not you like it, by conquest or by consent. So that's a very famously quoted line. Again, people who believe this new world order theory. Interestingly enough, there were also ties between Kissinger and the driving agenda, supposedly, of the Council on Foreign Relations. Kissinger is a long-term Bilderberg member. And in the 1992 Bilderberg group meeting, he supposedly said... Today, Americans would be outraged if U.N. troops entered Los Angeles to restore order. Tomorrow, they will be grateful. This is especially true if they were told there was an outside threat from beyond, whether real or promulgated, that threatened our very existence. It is then that all people of the world will plead with world leaders to deliver them from this evil. Individual rights will be willingly relinquished for the guarantee of their well-being granted to them by their world government. So obviously super creepy statement there too. Yeah. And also hinting at perhaps aliens too, which I think is kind of interesting. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not going to go too deep into the alien connections to the Bilderberg group because we don't have time. But I will just do one quick sidebar and say that David Icke, a very famous believer in aliens, reptilians, such things, believes that there are reptilian members that are running the Bilderberg group. And that that is the force that's driving towards a new world order. Do you think they show their true form during this meeting? No. Okay. I also don't necessarily believe 
David Icke. Well, he's a character. Sure is. He's a character. David Icke, he's not the one that was a, an ex-soccer player, was he? Yes, it's that guy. Oh, he is fun. He is fun. Um, Yeah, I don't want to mock him too much, but Hillary Clinton's chief advisor, Jim Messina, stopped by either last year or two years ago, basically just in time for him to get a gig as the head of the Democratic Party Super PAC Priorities USA. So there are a lot of things that seem to happen very closely tied to what happens or may be happening at the Bilderberg meetings. There are some larger conspiracies surrounding the Bilderberg agenda. One of them is that they pushed to have Obama chosen over Hillary in 2008. They met in Northern Virginia in 2008 as Hillary Clinton and Obama were battling it out for the Democratic nomination. So it was about this point in the political cycle. And then the reptilians push for Obama because he's one of them. Well, the idea is that they secretly attended the conference together and it was decided that Obama would be the nominee. Hillary would withdraw and Hillary would run after Obama's term was up. Which okay. is exactly what's happening. Yeah. Interestingly, Hillary withdrew from the race two days after the Bilderberg meeting in 2008. I wonder if that's a coincidence. It's every. It could be. It, it's every year at this. It is time. every year. It is every year at this time. Okay. So it totally could be a coincidence, but there are some interesting coincidences. This is one that I think Sam is going to be very interested in. Sam's back, by the way. Right here. I had to pee. I know. There are people who believe. That the Bilderberg Group specifically, and I would argue despicably, organized the Serbian War. The whole thing? Yeah. Why? A lot of leading Serbs have actually blamed the Bilderberg Group for starting the Kosovo War because it led to the downfall of Serbian and Yugoslavian President Milosevic, obviously. And they apparently wanted him out, and they thought this was the easiest way to make it happen because nobody could possibly support him after what he did. He was accused by the UN and other leading authorities, as you know, Sam, of war crimes against the people of oh, Serbia. He was awful, awful. He was like one of the worst. Awful he monster was, of a person. He was like Hitler level awful. He was really bad. Really, really bad. Immediately after he was extradited from Yugoslavia, the country received around $1 billion in financial aid from countries that were specifically represented at the Bilderberg Group. And some people believe that members of the group have the power to pull strings for their governments, which I think is very reasonable to assume considering people like. David Petraeus and presidents and the largest company owners in the country attend these meetings. But those are the types of things that are really scary. I mean, the alien stuff is really fun, but those are the types of things that are genuinely terrifying because, Sam, how many people died in that? Uh, the CDC estimates that 12,000 deaths occurred in the total population. Yikes. Yeah, pretty terrifying. That's a small area and a small population to absorb right. that many casualties. So thinking that they might have directly led to it that's scary. Well, but in the, I'm, I'm not obviously advocating the <laughs> fabrication of war, but Milosevic ended up out of power. That is true. I, I can't help but think there could have been an easier way to do it. All those movies show us amazing political assassins. Don't we have political assassins that can go do something like that? I don't know. We're, I mean, they're usually pretty busy. I suppose so, but I still feel like there should be something easier than killing 11,000 people okay. regardless I made move- a, I made a joke of me being an assassin and you <laughs> oh I'm sorry and sad. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm very I'm very buried I, I see that you're very intent on continuing this story I'm really sorry you're fine yes yes so there were some interesting opening remarks from the 2014 meeting the person who gave the address William Van Duyn 
he supposedly leaked this speech to somebody named Fritz Springmeier, who might have the best name ever. It's pretty fun. Yeah. And he has done a lot of research into the background of Bilderberg. He basically said that he was leaking this on purpose. Byron, I would really like to read a good chunk of this. How much of this are you going to let me read? Uh, I mean, what's a good chunk? Are we talking Bohemian Grove again? Well, it's a bit longer. <laughs> then Bohemian Grove? No. I mean, it is. Well, no, I, no, no. I'm, I'm not denying that it's longer. I'm saying, no, that's not going to be a part of this. Well, then I'll only read a chunk of it. A, a piece. Ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome you at the 60th edition of the Bilderberg meeting here in Copenhagen. Since the creation of the Bilderberg back in 1954, my father, William Garrett Van Doyne, the HRH Prince Bernard of Lippi Biesterfield, and Henry Kissinger decided to organize an event to unite different entities from industry, politics, and culture. After the fourth meeting back in 1958, the Bilderberg members put together the conditions of the Treaty of Rome was finally signed and the European Committee was born with six state members. Today, the European community contains 28 countries, and today the Bilderbergers advise 134 states members. Today, my speech will be officially published by our enemy, the media. Bilderberg isn't a secret society, never was, perhaps in the eyes of the population, but what we did is keep our topics and decision to ourselves. We are not an evil. I do not have an all-seeing eye. My ancestors only made sure the eye is on the U.S. dollar bill. Bilderberg is no conspiracy, but people and conspiracists with their infantile fantasies see it as such. None of you, and I don't care how powerful you are, sit around the table in a dark room holding hands, staring at a crystal ball, planning the world's future. The exuberant myth created by conspiracy theorists, journalists, and media moguls has been fabricated about the image of the Bilderberg. But are they really the cause of our consequences? Didn't we involve ourselves in this luxurious, secretive, mystical image? Going back in time, I am today in conversation with a certain controversial researcher who studied the Illuminati for more than two decades. This is Fritz Springmeier. Mm -hmm. I respect this gentleman for his courage and vision. I want to change history. I do believe that mankind has a right to their future. The population is frustrated, manipulated, demoralized by their own leaders. They live in their own Cartesian fantasies and hope that God will send a Messiah to save their soul. God has other plans with humanity. He creates balance between good and evil. Time changes. I am glad to feel those changes. I feel a general awareness and singularities of awakened ones. People are beginning to ask me the good questions. The main question is what is right? It's a phenomenon of response and reaction to an overly felt perception that the entire world is doomed to catastrophe, poverty, injustice, and misery. What makes the Bilderberg so strong? It is because of our perseverance. Members are coming and leaving, guests come and go, but the system grows stronger and stronger. No president, no king, no dictator, no prime minister dares to criticize my name, nor the Bilderbergers, and they know they are the puppets of the powerful Illuminati working from behind the scenes. So, And that's just a little snippet? That's just a little snippet of it, yeah. Interesting. It goes, it goes on and on. He actually mentions at one point meeting with Hillary Clinton Keep in mind, this was a couple of years ago, but it's just very interesting. You fully believe that this is an authentic piece. I do. I do. Yeah. I, he doesn't say anything, you know, that's that out of line. It's not like he's reciting the list of things that the what Center for Research on Globalization claimed. But I do think that the things he talked about in this are uh, inflammatory enough to make people pay attention. He does talk about the Illuminati at a couple different points in the speech. So I will put the rest in the show notes since you guys won't let me read the whole damn thing. Thank you. At FrightDay.com. Yeah, but it's good. It's really good. You can thank us on uh, Patreon.com backslash FrightDay. The current head of the steering committee, which, like I said, is the only formal group in the organization, is Henry de la Croix de Castries. 
the fifth Comte de Castries. Castri? Castri? She's stroking or? Castri? Or. What does that mean? He's a French, bus- he's a French he's a businessman, been chairman and CEO of AXA since May of 2000. He just announced this year that he was going to retire from both roles in September. So my guess is they're probably going to pick a new head of the steering committee at that point. But this year they're meeting in Dresden, Germany. Topics include the U.S. presidential election, China, Russia, and precariat and middle class. Sam, what does precariat mean? A a person or people, a whole class that is perched on the edge financially. They have no security or predictability. Makes sense. Makes sense. Not poverty level, but could easily plunge, you know, into poverty. Um, Which is a lot of people in the world. So that makes sense that they would be talking about that. And don't forget, they're talking about cybersecurity as well this year. And let's talk a little bit about that, actually, because one of the gentlemen in attendance who is one of the American attendees. Seth Rogen. No. I said, I Peter thought Thiel, they're talking about the interview again. No. He's, he's an honorary member. Peter Thiel, who is a German-American entrepreneur. He's a venture capitalist, hedge fund manager. He was the first outside investor in Facebook. He serves as president of Clarium Capital, which is a global macro hedge fund. He is on the Forbes 400 as well. So he's a very, very rich guy, has very controversial theories, is basically a believer in all of Ayn Rand's writing um, in terms of actually applying the theories that she puts forth. So obviously he's very libertarian. Mm -hmm. He also had a very interesting remark, which I'm going to play for you all right now about this year's meeting when he was confronted by a reporter talking about how they believe that the secrecy is very much a bad thing. He contradicted them and explained why he thinks the secrecy of the Bilderberg Group is, in fact, a very positive thing. I'll, I'll leave it at let me just leave it at one statement and then that's it, okay? Okay, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe that it's always important to exchange views with people uh, no matter what their perspectives are. Uh, I believe that uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I think that uh, I think that we have a lot of problems in our society, and we need to be uh, finding ways to talk to people. We need to find ways to talk to people uh, where not everything is completely transparent. Libertarianism is not synonymous with radical transparency. That's often an argument that the Stasi would make in East Germany, where uh, everything had to be monitored by uh, by society. And I think often you have the best conversations. Uh, in smaller groups where not everything is being monitored. And that's how you can have very honest conversations and how you can think better about the future. Thank you very much. So your solution is the new world order. Ooh, spooky. Yeah, the name of that video, it's on InfoWars, which I'm sure oh, you guys not know. Oh, yucks. Yeah. But, yucks. Yeah, but... Oh, your mic's all messed up. God but the name of the video is Peter Thiel goes full R word on libertarianism. <laughs> Wait, they that's the title of, the, of their video. Yikes. Yeah. Infowars. I know. Come on, Infowars. Wars, a little bit of sensitivity. Um, you would think that a world leader would be a little bit more eloquent. Well, he, he was caught. I mean, he's he's in jeans and a T-shirt walking down the street like it, it was a very. It's like a TMZ ambush. Yeah, it was it okay. very much so. Yeah, because I know that he's obviously very, very bright. I'm not going to comment on whether he's evil or not, but he's very, very bright. OK. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Pretty creepy. Teal has invested in some really interesting things over the years. I would actually argue that he could have been the inspiration for the reclusive mega rich dude in Ex Machina. 
Oh, really? That guy's fun. Yeah, he's very into AI and machine intelligence research. He founded How about dancing robots. Maybe this is what we're all working toward. All I want is to dance in sync with a robot. Yeah, he matched funds to donate to the Singularity Challenge Drive, uh, which is the Machine Intelligence Research Institute's drive. He also joined the Institute's advisory board. He participates in their summits. In the, the Singularity, that's when AI would have the ability to learn more than yeah, humans? Yeah, and they're actually challenging people to do this, which is very... I don't think we should be trying to do that. I think it's very scary. Disagree. Okay, Sam's in on it, and I, I want to know why. Because he wants it all to crumble down, and he wants an apocalypse. <laughs> we, that's why. We talked about this before the show, because Terminator. Okay, that's the only reason. Sam, stop it. I'm not actively contributing in any way to the rise of artificial intelligence. Other than financially. So clear. We know that you're giving money to this group. <laughs> that, they, get, they get all the change from underneath the refrigerator. Last year, it was also announced that Teal is one of the financial backers of OpenAI, which is a nonprofit company aiming to safely develop artificial general intelligence. So artificial intelligence that can be used kind of by the masses. He does a lot of work in anti-aging research and this might be the most fun thing that he does. Seasteading. Now, does anybody know what seasteading is? It's like homesteading, but it's in the sea. It is. So he pledged a bunch of money to the Seasteading Institute, whose mission is, and I quote, to establish permanent autonomous ocean communities to enable experimentation and innovation with diverse social, political, and legal systems. Now, that sounds pretty New World Order-y. I mean, even... Or just kind of fun. Everyone loves a beach. I don't know. It sounds delightful. No, it doesn't. It sounds like an intentional community in the middle of the ocean. And intentional communities are no fun. If you watch when they've been formed, they don't work well. Is that like the, the cult that I grew up in? That's what they called it yes. for the outsiders. Yeah, and apparently he was inspired to give the money to the Seasteading Institute by Ayn Rand's philosophical novel, Atlas Shrugged. He is definitely in the religion of Rand, for sure. Basically, he's a very smart guy. He is also very, very conservative. Oh. However, he has supported gay rights causes, such as the American Foundation for Equal Rights and Go Proud, which is interesting because he is libertarian, which would make sense that he's supporting gay rights organizations, but he's conservative, and rumor has it that he is a Trump supporter. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. Very distressing, I would argue. Yeah, he became one of the pledged California delegates. He actually is a delegate. Is he a super? Um, It doesn't say. I'm not sure. I don't believe so. Anyhow, and the reason I'm going in a little bit of depth about him is because he's one of the American attendees. There aren't a ton, but he's one of the very few that has actually spoken about the Bilderberg Group, which is the quote that we just gave. Kind of interesting and looking at the things that he's been involved in can kind of be one of those roadmaps that points us towards what they may be discussing because they're only going to invite people to the conference who are involved in things that are relevant to their discussion points. Clearly, with the things he's been involved in, they must be discussing some pretty fun, interesting things there. It's important to note that people who have gone through this year's attendees list have come to the conclusion that it is going to be a very pro-Clinton meeting. There are more than a dozen attendees that have close financial ties to both of the Clintons. And there are a few Republicans in the mix as well, Teal being one of them, even though he's not a Republican, he's a libertarian, but he's going to be pushing for the Republican ticket. Senator Lindsey Graham, who does not support his party's nominee for president, suggested in advance of this year's conference that how to beat Trump would be a main talking point under the U.S. political landscape portion of the agenda. 
it's kind of interesting to think that, I mean, depending on how much you subscribe to these theories, the outcome of the U.S. presidential election may actually be decided by the end of this meeting. Spooky. Yeah, by reptilians. This could be the most grim report that you've done. I'm sorry. It's. I think it's grim because it, it doesn't have like the fun spirited portion of the conspiracies or cryptids. It's just a really scary, creepy one that has probably more ties to actual evidence than I normally have, which is sad. This is maybe the scariest topic that I've seen come up on this year's agenda. This is going to be the last thing that we discuss. The group is set to discuss plans to implement, this is rumor, by the way, again, this is not fact-based, an internet ID to eviscerate anonymity on the web, as well as a global tax on financial transactions and air travel, according to an inside source who spoke to InfoWars. Yes. Oh, no, not InfoWars. Who cares what anyone said to Alex Jones? Yeah, I know. And I'm I'm not an Alex Jones fan at all, but he has brought up a lot of things with the Bilderberg group that have been, when you filter them down, there are pieces that are very factual. And the internet ID thing, it certainly isn't an Alex Jones creation. That's been a theory that's floated around for a little while. Basically, the idea is that it's going to be argued that it is a supporter of cybersecurity. It creates a convenient method for citizens to access government services. Obviously, free speech advocates will be very, very scared of this proposal if it indeed comes to pass. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter could also use the online passport to revoke posting permission if a user violates terms of agreement. Though some people would argue with that, I would say they're private companies. They can do whatever the hell they want. I don't think that there's an issue with them revoking users. I mean, those are not government organizations. They don't owe us anything. And if you don't like the services that they're providing, you can always just step away from them. But anyhow, that's that's going off on a side note. I apologize. At the end of the day, I think the important takeaway is probably going to be this visual more than anything that I'm going to show you guys, because it is, I mean, it's massive and it shows the people sitting around the table and then it shows all the organizations that they're connected to. And it's probably going to give you nightmares. I don't know if it's really a new world order movement. I don't know if it's anything as diabolical as what some of the organizations in the research on globalization center have led us to believe. But I will say that I think it's a much more viable conspiracy than anything happening at Bohemian Grove. That's one that people seem to be more familiar with than Bilderberg Group, actually. I think it's something to pay attention to. Keep your eyes on it. Look at the list of attendees this year and let's see what kind of interesting things transpire in the days, weeks, and months following the meeting and see if there's anything that we could interestingly tie back to possible discussion points. And if you're interested in a film that is somewhere in between Bohemian Grove and the Bilderberg Group, you can check out the 2012 film, The Conspiracy. Have you seen this? Fun movie. That is so funny. I Is that what we're both ju- looking at? I was at? just going to bring that <laughs> up. Oh, you I guys are it. so cute. Yeah, so that's I a found see. footage film that is kind of fun. It is. I actually I really, really like that movie. That's The Bilderberg Group. It is The Bilderberg Group. And though I did use a couple of pieces from InfoWars, I would encourage everybody to look a little bit wider for their research on this. And we also use pieces from Al Jazeera, which I think would probably be the most reputable source. There's some pieces that have been written by The Guardian. Do some digging. And if you know what Prince Bernhard's uh, bracelet. Bracelet, yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I'll post a picture of that in the show notes at Friday.com. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, thank you, Kelly, for that report. Yeah, don't get too grim and grumpy. It's going to be okay, everybody. You can all move to Montana if all else fails. Uh, All of them? 
Well, sure. So let's talk about something a little bit more lighthearted. Let's do it. Let's review The Conjuring 2, the latest film by James Wan. This is going to be an interesting discussion, I can tell right now. enjoying your visit here this evening now on with the show the conjuring 2 is a 2016 american supernatural horror film directed by the very talented james wan yeah did you know that he turned down directing fast and furious 8 which i know is just called furious 8 but i refuse to say that because those movies are ridiculous you're way off base i'm just saying he turned it down and supposedly was offered a shitload more money to do that than to do this he made a bunch of money on seven but Sam, could you tell us what this movie is about? The Conjuring 2 brings to the screen another real-life case from the files of renowned demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren. Reprising their roles, Oscar nominee Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson star as Lorraine and Ed Warren, who, in one of their most terrifying paranormal investigations, travel to North London to help a single mother raising her children alone in a house plagued by malicious spirits. Farmiga. In this case, is known as the Enfield Poltergeist case. Yeah, check out episode 40 to hear Captain Kelly's full report on the Enfield Poltergeist. Yeah, it would have been fun if we didn't knock that out so early. No, I'm have sorry. Went well with this. Yeah, it was low-hanging fruit, though. Yeah, it's a great story. It's a really good story, and you guys might be surprised at I have an unusual take on it. Ooh. Yeah, not necessarily what you've come to expect from Captain Kelly. Or maybe it is because I speak the truth. (laughs) All right. Um, Before we get in too deep, I'd like to break down our theater experience like I usually do on these theatrical horror films that we go to. Not very many people in attendance. Well, we We did did go go to to a a noon showing. Uh It's a typical. uh, On a Saturday. But I'll tell you what, it is the way to avoid all the annoying couple teenagers that are there because no guy is going to take his teenage girlfriend to the conjuring at noon he's going to take her at night so I mean, you can get yeah, you do that with your wife not yeah, your girlfriend true. that's true any trailers i don't think there was anything other than lights out which is a james wan produced film yeah which actually i think looks pretty, pretty it looks pretty it's kind of spooky super scary yeah. yeah i think we're gonna probably check that one out yeah, yeah when does it come out why don't you look that up pushing the purge election year hard which is coming up very soon i think we're gonna be covering what are you doing over there Quit messing with that. Sorry. July 1st release date. So pretty much as soon as I get back from LA. God, this year's moving way too quickly. It is. Theatrical horror. We're in the blockbuster summer period, you guys. I know, but I'll tell you what. If theatrical horror keeps up the way it did this week, I'm going to be a happy camper. Uh Oh, spoiler. Why don't we jump right in then, Kelly? What are your thoughts on The Conjuring 2? Well, after having done some pretty extensive research, research, if you will, on the Enfield Poltergeist, I was very pleasantly surprised, I must say, by the portrayal of the case up to the conclusion. Yeah. Okay. And we don't want to talk too much about that. Right. The way that they presented it was very much the way that the story is told if you really dig into the research that's available today. And that is... These girls claimed that something was happening. The mother then started making the same claims, and there was very little evidence to concretely support their claims. And even though we've got Ed and Lorraine Warren in the middle of the mix there, 
their viewpoint was portrayed as also being very difficult to buy in 100% to what was going on because everything that they saw kind of could be explained by X, Y, or Z. And they were being pretty skeptical about it. Their purpose in being there, as it was told in the movie, was to try and get the church to either come and help or be able to release themselves from any obligation entirely because the church needs evidence if they're going to come do any kind of exorcism or assist in any way. And if it's a hoax, then they don't want anything to do with it. So they were kind of there basically as like a screening team for the church. Well, and it's also interesting the way they formatted this film. Half of the film the two groups are separate. What's going on in Enfield and what's going on back with the Warrens in the United States. Right. Lorraine and Ed are still living through some of the remnants of what came to them through the Amityville case. And it's interesting that we start off with almost like they skipped over the Amityville case. They're wrapping it up. Which I think makes sense because it's been done, right? Like everybody's seen that story. And not only done, it's it's done in such a way that it doesn't, contrary to the remake, it doesn't need a remake. The original Amityville Horror was one of the best horror movies of all time. It was. And whether it's true or not, we get something new from it, even in that first little 10 minute section. I didn't know that she had these visions during the Amityville case that involved the potential uh future of ed well and i'm gonna have to do some research you guys because i'm not sure that that's factual okay i mean there's a lot of things in this movie that may or may not be factual well so the piece about her seeing this demon associated with the amityville case which essentially then follows her and ed after the amityville case i don't i haven't i haven't found anything to say that that was something the Warrens discussed. However, I haven't found anything to the contrary either, and I haven't spent that much time on it. But I will say, speaking specifically about the Enfield incident, the way that they showed the order of hauntings there, the way that they showed who was involved and the specific incidents that occurred was really factual. They did a great job. They did a really good job. Down to the police officers who visited and saw a chair fly across the floor and actually reported seeing that chair. There were things that kind of lend some credibility to the case, even though there isn't a ton of concrete evidence. But it was I was impressed, actually. Very impressed. I thought James Wan did a great job. And the the TV crew that went to the Green Street home, the footage that they shot, I think we aired that in episode 40. We aired some of the audio from that, from the actual yeah, report. We did. Which yep. is very interesting that they were able to replicate that in such an authentic way. It is interesting. The way they wrapped this story together was actually really cool. Like they pulled a bunch of the elements of the case from both sides and it, it felt really smooth. It slick. did feel smooth. The other thing I thought was interesting that is often overlooked with this case and with many ghost cases, even though it was shown that some of the things that Janet, the girl, did were hoaxes, that she basically made some stuff up, that doesn't necessarily mean that the whole thing was a hoax because you're dealing with people who are in a fairly desperate situation who certainly have motives to continue the attention that this has brought to them. But that does not mean that the initial incident or that at the core of everything, there isn't a reality-based component. Um, and I think that that was brought to light very effectively. I think people are always inclined to either buy into something 100% or write it off 100%. And oftentimes in the worlds of conspiracies and paranormal, that just isn't the case. How hip does poverty look? 
I didn't think it looked hip that at all. That house was so cool. Oh, it looked like a nightmare to me. Really? Oh. I thought it just needs a couple fresh layers of paint and you got yourself like a, a Brooklyn. Oh, oh, God, I hated it. The living room was huge. Yeah, I guess. I thought it was awesome. I would live there in a heartbeat. The house was one of my very favorite things about the movie. It um, looked great. It did. It looked fantastic. And I, I don't think I would want to live there oh, necessarily. Come on. That's a lot of peeling paint in Be an brave. era where lead paint was Oh, yeah, lead. Ooh. All right. And not you to guys mention the plumbing, kid. but I it was it. so cool. It was so atmospheric. James Wan did an excellent job of using this really run-of-the-mill, generic, drab row house in North London, turning it into an, an excellent haunted house, complete with squeaky floors and just all the things that make a haunted house what it is. And, and when we first enter the house, I, I felt like Don Burgess, who is the director of photography in this film... I was blown away by how well the, I I say floating camera often, but that opening shot where they're going room to room, kind of spiraling around people. Yeah, following individual characters as they make their way through the home. Going up through windows and like through doors. It was amazing. I thought that was very remarkable as well. This guy's obviously a master. He's done uh, films like... The Polar Express, The Book of Eli, Source Code. Some good stuff. Spider-Man. He did the 2002 Spider-Man. Oh. Yeah, he's used to flying around. You guys, can we bump back to the opening opening of the movie really quickly? Absolutely. So it shows Lorraine having this vision immediately after the events that happened at Amityville. She's obviously transporting back to the night that the DeFeo murders occurred, Ooh, which what? we've talked about completely in another episode. Yeah, I wonder what episode that was. I'll look Sorry. it up. No, you're fine. What I thought was interesting it displayed one of the things that I still find myself wondering how the hell it happened that way. The DeFeo murders. She's going through the eyes of DeFeo who killed his entire family, shooting them one by one, very slowly, very methodically with shotguns and nobody's waking up. I'm like, what the hell? How do you sleep through one shotgun fire, let alone like eight by the time he's done? I I don't understand that at all. And that movie, they didn't even attempt to answer that, which I guess I was thankful for because I don't know how you can answer it. But it was very interesting walking through the a brief, succinct version of the Amityville events. I like the way that they did like snapshots of what was actually happening. And then all of a sudden the next scene was just like replacing it. Yeah. You know, that was really cool. Yeah. I, cinematography wise, I think that was what really hooked me at the beginning. I'm always skeptical going into uh, mainstream possession films in a theater, but that opened up so strong that I completely forgot all of my preconceived thoughts about this movie. They did an excellent job kind of dragging us into this desperate place that the Hodgson's family was in with the the rundown ramshackle nature of their home where nothing works. There's no one they can call for help. They're just totally at the whims of the universe. And the whole neighborhood while we can assume that there are other people in the row houses, they interact with basically the one couple across the street, and that's it. That's their whole world. That's all that we're seeing, and it's just them and this m- malignant force in the house until the Warrens get there. You just feel hunted and start looking over your shoulder. The isolation of that family, even though we're in this, it's they're conjoined houses. This is a neighborhood. Yeah. The the fog outside, and it was the atmosphere was really wonderful. I, I we didn't cover the first Conjuring on the podcast, right? No, we didn't. We did not. It was pre podcast. I know Kelly liked it a lot more loved, than I did. Loved, loved. Even, even though this film had a budget of twenty million, which isn't 
massive. It's it's That's not micro either. No, it's not micro. <laughs> but the, the way they shot this movie really, really hooked me in. There's a couple times where the characters lose time. It gets up close to them and pulls back and they're someplace else or something. Something else is happening. The way they smoothly did pretty much everything in this movie, it blew me away. There was no real lull other than the lovey-dovey stuff, which is fine. Tonally, it just kind of felt odd at some points when we hit that. It, it, I thought it felt forced, the, the love story between... Ed and Lorraine. I always wonder if, um, I know that when they make these movies, they're working closely with Lorraine. Yes. So I wonder if that's something she really wants to push for, almost as a tribute to her husband, Ed. A lot of people have issues with the religious overtones, but the reality is that's the story. The the Warrens approached everything they did from an incredibly religious standpoint. What about their love story? We're talking though? about the love story. Yeah, but the, I think the love story ties into that as well. I sure. think that that is another testament to their very foundational traditional values as a family in the face of a career that was incredibly unorthodox. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that their love story that was hinted at in the first one, and like you said, expanded further upon in this one, I think that it's again in line with these people are very traditional, all American, Anglo-Saxon, Jesus loving. Love bunnies. Yeah. For me, these Ed and Lorraine were just so likable that they were un- unlikable. It was a bit much, but I can't deny that I did. I did a little bit of a chest hold. It was cute during uh, Ed singing. I, I can't, can't help, help falling in love, love with you. <gasps> oh, jinx! Oh, oh, that was a really fun moment. But I found myself wondering, like, what what, what, what is this movie? Because so many horrendous things happen in the first act of the movie, and then the entire second act is basically like a feel good like Amblin type film. It's funny. It really, I, I thought it felt like E.T. at times. Yeah, it was a little bit too nice after being so aggressively mean-spirited at the beginning. Guys, where where's Johnny? Well, he came and, he came and went. He came and went. You want to hear something real sad? Uh, I do. If you recall back in the episode when I talked about it, Johnny died. What? Not during the period that the movie took place in, but shortly thereafter, Johnny died. Well, now I feel bad. You should. I mean, I thought that was weird. They must have cast a character that they ended up not liking at all because Johnny was cut out of most scenes in this movie. Yeah, not all. And their daughter was too. So it shows that it's around Christmas time and they're in England investigating this case. Where the hell's their daughter? Home by herself. Hey mom, hey house dad. House party. Eh. And she was not. I guess old I'll spend Christmas party. alone. See you later. I don't know. I mean, I I feel like there was a lot left on the cutting room floor of this movie. Yeah. They had to focus on the characters that they knew were going to be necessary for the plot line. I just wish they could have added an extra fifteen minutes or whatever to make some of those pieces a little bit smoother because the rest of the story was really good. Subtract about ten minutes of Ed and Lorraine hugging and kissing and loving. Oh, I, I did it. feel I like it, it ran great. a little long. It did um, It did not run long. Let's talk about the spooky parts of this movie. Yes. Nosferatu, also maybe the lead singer of Ghost, our main that's, spook. That's funny. The nun. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely terrifying. That, the first thing I thought was, yeah, Papa Emeritus. It was from great. Ghost. Maybe that was just because of the ghost poster in the Lights Out trailer. The villain in this movie? Terrifying. It's a new bagul. Really good. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Um. Just pretty scary. That's all you got? Well, so I was confused. I wish that we had more backstory of what the demon 
was. I bet you could find it on the internet. Well, that's what I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find if that was a fabrication of the movie or if that was really something that happened to Ed and Lorraine. But I was pretty proud of myself because as you guys know, I'm not typically a detail person. I do not pick up on details, but I knew the name of the demon like 15 minutes into the movie because it was actually written in two places. One was on the wall in the kitchen where Ed and Lorraine were sitting after he did his painting of the evil demon. And then again, when she was in her library or study or whatever, reading her Bible and her daughter was playing with beads, it was in blocks, little gold blocks on the bookshelf. It was spelled out as well. Really? Yeah. Two places. And it may have been more, but I I noticed those two places. So I was pretty proud of myself when the demon scene came up and I was like, I know his name. I know what it is. Which is important. Yeah, I was pretty proud of myself. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I was just pulling up the character of Johnny. Apparently, uh, this is his first film and only film. Maybe that would be why he's not on screen. Was he a relative of one of the peeps? I don't know. Uh, I don't want to pick on Johnny too much. I just thought that was really odd, you know? It's funny. I didn't even uh, pick up on it until we just started talking about it. Um, Real quick, my favorite scene, uh, and I have a specific reason for it, is the TV scene. So Janet is staying home from school sick after one of the early poltergeist situations. Yes. And she's watching TV on the couch and the TV is changing channels by itself. This happened to me. Oh, God. So this, I know that I constantly say I don't have ghost stories. I completely forgot about this one until watching this scene in the movie. Maybe 10 years ago, I woke up early to drop off my then girlfriend at her coffee shop job. And I came home and I decided to lay on the couch and watch TV and kind of just snooze. I turn on the TV and I change the channel. And then all of a sudden it turns on to a channel that I don't want to watch. And I try to change it and it won't change. So I get up and I push the physical button on the TV to change it. And that also does nothing, which makes no sense to me. Right. Like the the remote not working is one thing. Byron, are you making this up? Absolutely not. The room gets really cold. And you know what I did, Kelly? What? I embraced it. I said, if he wants to watch that, if they want to watch that, if whatever wants to watch that, that's fine. And I just went to sleep. You're insane. And then when I woke up, I changed the channel and it worked perfectly. You believe in ghosts, right? I don't believe in ghosts, but if there is a ghost, then don't care. So then if you don't believe in ghosts, what do you think that was? I have no idea. Maybe I was sleep dreaming or something. but. Knock it off. That really, it, it, it rung true for me, that little moment. Also, great scare. A lot of tension. Scare. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. It's a unique uh, ghost moment that you don't see a lot of. I totally agree. I really want a zoetrope after watching that movie. It's a little spinny projector nope, toy. We Ooh. will never have one of those. The crooked Man is never entering it's this funny. house. It's funny. I instantly, I was going to pull up my phone and, and search eBay for a crooked man. What's it called? A zoetrope. Zoetrope. That was incredible. How, Sam, how do you know that that's what that that's thing is called? That's just what Sam's good for. God. Uh, no, honestly, that was the end result of about 10 minutes of Googling spinny light toy projector stop motion. Okay, good. Wham. That makes me feel better. Uh, speaking of the crooked man, a couple moments in this movie are very CG. Two of the three times you see the crooked man I thought were really good. One was not so yeah. great. Okay, yeah, same page? Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. I thought it was cool, though. I, I didn't hate those moments as much as I usually do in a movie that uses CG for a, a big spooky monster. 
Yeah. And so many jump scares. Oh, God. It got you guys so many times. It was fun sitting next to both of you. It got me me once. Oh, no. It got you way more than once, you lying liar pants. How could you tell? You were on the ceiling most of the time. I was very scared. I was very, very scared. Do we have any other thoughts about this movie? We're not going to do dead giveaways. No, no dead giveaways. We're not going to talk about the bonus third act. Uh, I will say, however, it gets a bit over the top. You say that, I, I think they did a really good job with it. Like I said, I need to research and see h- how much factual accuracy there was because up until that point, it was pretty damn good. But at that point... At that point, I don't know that part of the story, so I need to do Completely made up. Well, it seems a little bit Hollywoodized, but I'll tell you what, it was well done. I mean, spoiler alert, when it comes to the Enfield poltergeist, if you want to listen to that on episode 40, that's fine. We know the result of that. Right. But... The result of that, this could have been fit in in the middle, and I wouldn't have known about it. So okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some digging. But All right, I, I was really happy with it. How happy were you? I was 8.0 happy. Really? I really was. This one is one that I was looking forward to tremendously because I loved the first one. I was very happy with how they portrayed it. I thought that they executed a true investment in the characters, which is really hard to do in a horror movie. And I think horror movies can be good even without that. But I think this one really excelled in that arena. Factual accuracies. And I just think that our two lead actors, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Mm, Come on now. Farmiga. Uh Uh-huh. That both of them are really good actors. And at this point, you almost see them as the Warrens. I hope that they do another movie where they play the Warrens because I really like this whole series of continuing to invest in them as those characters. It's pretty fun. I don't think we're done seeing the Warrens, to be honest. I hope not. Sam, what are your thoughts? I thought that this was a very, very effectively atmospheric major motion picture. Uh, There's some, some good jump scares, but there were also some cheap jump scares. I found myself really starting to dislike the Warrens because they were just too goody two shoes but really there was nothing here that we haven't seen before um it wasn't groundbreaking what it did it it did competently definitely hats off to the photographer and the dialogue was was really well done um and well delivered but i i would say i'm gonna give this movie a 5.5 oh hey behave over there yeah uh, when it comes to mainstream horror, and I, I was going to say PG-13 horror, but it does look like this is rated R, which is surprising to me. This is probably as good as we're going to get for the most part, besides Evil Dead and those types of films where it's just a bloodbath. Cabin in the Woods. Sure. This is better than it could have been in this genre, and I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that they walked away from the Annabelle type films. Thank God. Yeah, I would watch another Conjuring movie. I give this a a 6.2. I think this is great. Um, Ed and Lorraine Warren, I doubt they were as cute as they are in this, uh, but I understand why they're portraying it like that. These are their stories. They're responsible for three of the most entertaining possession stories in American and, I guess, world history at this point. Um, So you have to give them respect for that yeah and those are our thoughts on the conjuring 2 which is in theaters now i'd love to hear your thoughts at fright day on twitter let us know what you think or you can just leave a comment below this episode's show notes at frightday.com or you could talk to us about it in our facebook group right kelly please come talk about anything and everything in our facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash fright day yep yep i know we've been talking about it way too much 
John Carpenter. We're, yes, leaving we're leaving this week. Finally, a little we horror are. vacation, what, which what? is just a rest stop for you on your on your further travels to you know points unknown. Yeah, points unknown. Definitely not killing drifters up the PCH. Please don't. So if you start seeing reports of uh, headless corpses alongside the 101. Byron, you can't do that because I can't edit episodes. So you really need to stick around. I'm just saying point fingers elsewhere for me so you can keep getting this podcast. Right, guys? Woot woot. Yeah. If you're going to be in L.A. at VidCon, come say hi. Buy a Fright Day shirt for me personally. And um, I'll maybe call Sam and Kelly on my cell phone and we can talk or something. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Next episode is going to be Carnage Park. Yes. Highly anticipated film from Mickey Keating. Yeah. Very, very excited for that. Yeah, The embargo is killing us on this one. Yeah. We got this early and I I really, really want to talk about it. I've been waiting forever. Also, we have an interview with Mickey himself as well as the star uh, Ashley Bell coming up as well. So you have that to look forward to. Okay. Well, make sure you tell her that I think she's amazing. I will. Yeah. And if you like this show that you've just listened to and want to help us make it even better, grab something at shop.friday.com or from me personally, like I mentioned before, that would be really great of you. If you want exclusive rewards, you can go to where, Kelly? You can go to Patreon. Uh-huh. That's a place. Yeah. And you can get access to uh, things like Sam talking to you while Kelly and I look at our computers. Yeah, which is... I. T- it's a thing. It, it is. is a it's thing. A, that's a reward. Well, there are some better things like listening to my episodes and getting my chocolate mousse recipe. Also, rewards for uh, supporting us on Patreon. Yes. Uh, most helpful of all, leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way to get us in front of new eyes, of course. But more importantly, just thank you guys for listening. Yeah, It really means a lot. We've heard a lot of new voices talking at us. So many new voices. We love them all. Such beautiful voices you all have. Kelly? Yes. Where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kelly Fright Day, or you can email me, Kelly at Friday.com. We nearly have a stockpile for another True Tales of Terror. So, do you think this is going to be a Patreon episode, or is it going to be one of our episodes on the main feed? We'll have to ask the uh, Patreon patrons, get some feedback from them. We like hearing their opinions. We take them pretty seriously around here. How about you, Sam? Where can we find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter. At Sam Friday, email me Sam at Friday.com. And I'm at Byron McCoy on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And Byron at Friday.com is my email address. And until next week, I'm Byron. I'm Kelly. And I'm Sam. Stay off the PCH. Oh, by the way, Sam, our new Verizon password is number Okay, you didn't have to tell me that right now. But now it's recorded, so if we forget it. (laughs) God damn you.